Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So we are busy with our series on Ephesians and we definitely going to carry on till the, the, the rest of this year or till the end of this year. Um, just because we're wrapping up with chapter four only now. And I hope and I trust that we'll uh, finish up with the last uh, two chapters in the rounding up of this year. But you know, it's awesome. God doesn't work in years. In the sense that the year doesn't kind of end and then God goes on holiday, so to speak. Yes, the church closes its doors, but praise God, the church building and the Sunday gathering is not all that there is to church. Uh, it's an aspect of church. It's not the only thing. It's not just the Sunday. It's not just the, the, the actual gathering that we have for the hour and a half, two hours that we together. There's more to church and there's more to relationship with God than these things. And the awesome thing with uh, years, oftentimes we do plan in years and there's a January and then there's a December. Um, but man, uh, we shouldn't close off to kind of shut down in our hearts. Our ambassadorship doesn't go on holiday. Um, when you go on holiday, Jesus is going with you on holiday. When you go, wherever you're going, Jesus is going there with you. And guess what? You're going to meet unbelievers there. Guess what the unbelievers need? They need Jesus. And uh, the, awesome, the awesome thing with that is that we get to um, share the greatest news of all time, of all, of all of history with people, even though we're on holiday, right? Even when we're away and we're sitting on a beach and someone walks past, um, don't be distracted by the bikini or uh, the topless guy. Focus on the gospel. Uh, I know uh, oftentimes we want to we wanna minister from the flesh and not from the spirit. And so uh, we, we try and uh, over-spiritualize things at uh, sometimes. Maybe that's a word for someone. I don't know why I'm making that joke. Maybe it's a word for someone. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Ephesians chapter, we're going to open up with chapter 6 actually. And then we're going to jump back to, to verse uh, or chapter 4 where we're going to be spending our time uh, in this morning. Uh, just want to recap quickly, and we're recapping from Ephesians 6, using this as a, a recap verse. Verse 12, it says, Our fight is not against people on earth. We are fighting against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this world's darkness. We are fighting against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly places. So last week, we looked at fighting the right fight, that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against people. It's against the operation behind the people. And the awesome thing with with this fight is there's a call to actively fight in this fight. Uh, oftentimes as Christians, we've become passive and we've, we've become insensitive to what is on God's heart and what is important to God that we've completely become passive in living out our Christianity. And that's not God's desire. God's desire is for us to be hot, right? To be hot, to be on fire for the things that is on his heart. And the lost is on his heart. Coming to know the truth is on his heart. First um, Timothy 2.4, to come to salvation and the knowledge of the truth. And so we need to um, understand also, just in, in, in closing recap from last week, you guys can get the teaching online. Um, and recapping from last week, the evil that we see in this world, the evil that we see in this world is a fruit of something. The sin that we see in people's lives, not ours, right? I also make mistakes, guys. Um, so the, 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 the sin and the fruit of evil that we see in people's lives is a fruit of something. It's a fruit of not knowing something. It's a fruit of immaturity, maybe even. 
So we don't want to focus on the fruit. We want to focus on the root, which is relationship with God and coming to know Him more intimately, spending more intimacy with Him, which will lead to greater fruitfulness of His kind. Amen. So you guys can get that for this morning. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And it says, when you talk, don't say anything bad, but say the good things that people need, whatever will help them grow stronger. Then what you say will be a blessing to those who hear you. Now, there's a lot to be said in here. But say the good things that people need. Say need. Now, if you know that there's a difference between need and want. You want to hear maybe something, but you need to hear something else. Say the good things that people need, whatever will help them grow stronger. Oftentimes, what you want is not going to help you grow stronger. But what you need is going to help you grow stronger in the things that God has got for you. And this is the encouragement that Paul is making here in the closing of chapter 4 to talk about things and to build people up in the things that they need to hear. And what people need to hear more than anything else is the love of Christ, how Jesus came to die for their sins so they can be set free from that and so that they can actually impact other people with his love and his goodness. Right? And so this is really important for us. And then Paul goes on in verse 13. He says, the Holy Spirit of God has sealed you. And we're going to camp in on this. And uh, we looked at this in the beginning of Ephesians as well. But we're going to build and elaborate on this a little bit this morning. So the Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Now, it's one of those verses that has also been taken out of context quite uh, um, exhaustively. And I just want to give us clarity on this. So firstly, the Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ. Let's camp in on that and just build on this a little bit. Ephesians 1.13, the same concept is being shared here. The same truth is being shared here. And it says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. Okay, so they heard something. Something was shared, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, when you've believed in what you've heard, he identified you as his own by giving you, what? The Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Now, the word sealing here that we see in, uh, uh, in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1, some translations use the word sealing there. And uh, the word sealing here talks about a picture of a stamp or a signet, uh, 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 a signet on, a, what do you call it, on an envelope, right? So uh, you, you used to get... Uh, um, Old school, old, olden days, uh, an envelope was sealed with some wax and the ring of a king or the ring of uh, someone in royalty. And that seal was to persevere, preserve. Man, uh, I'm still growing uh, out of my first language, Afrikaans, and I'm getting better at it. Um, not that Afrikaans is bad, so don't leave Norman. Um, Afrikaans is good. Uh, I, I love my I love my home language or my um, first tongue, my mother tongue. Um, but oftentimes things like that happen. So it's a preservation, <laughs> uh, preservation, preservation. That's the word. So it, uh, it protects something, right? It keeps something safe. That's the purpose of that. And that's the awesome thing with this picture of the seal of the Holy Spirit. It is to keep safe. It is to protect. It's to uh, um, even preserve in the sense of when you make 
uh, jam or preserve. That's what you call preserves, like uh, the, the fruit preserves, and you put it in a jam container and you seal it. That seal protects the content. It protects the inside so that no infirmities can come and contaminate that which is on the inside. And this is the picture of what God did through us or to us with his Holy Spirit. He has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, we've been sealed. He has made us secure. He's preserving us and keeping us till the end of our life. Now, we're going to look at some more scriptures. This um, You guys can go to Hebrews chapter 10. This is really a foundation that we need to establish in our hearts because if we don't have this established in our hearts, it's like having a relationship with someone. When you are not on good grounds with someone relationally, you're lacking confidence to be around them, right? We've all experienced that maybe where there's a little bit of strife relationally. You don't know where you're standing with the person and you don't have confidence to be around them. And it's the same with God. If you don't know where you're standing with God, you're going to lack confidence to approach Him and to have fellowship with Him, to engage with Him, to, to hear from Him, all of these things. There's so many different things that would limit us from living fruitful lives as His sons and daughters if we do not know where we're standing with Him. Hebrews 10 verse 22 and 23, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We sang that this morning. He is faithful. He's promised us something. He's faithful to keep his word. Now, what is he, what is he faithful to specifically? In context of what we're talking about right now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, we're talking about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Say blameless. Blameless is without fault. Keeps us. Blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again, verse 24. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Oftentimes we take verses like this, for example. You use your example of anything maybe naturally speaking you desiring and wanting. And then you add it, God is faithful because he promised. And you fill in the blank, whatever you're desiring or wanting right now. Anything that is natural, anything that's tangible but this context is talking, when it's talking about his faithfulness, when it's talking about his promise, it's talking about a specific thing. And that is what he is faithful to do, that specific thing. Now, what is this specific thing? Because it's talking about he is faithful. He is faithful to that which he has promised. You calls you is faithful. What is he faithful to? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 5 to 9 says, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ confirmed in you. Again, the testimony of Christ confirmed in you. Something happened in you and it testifies of something. Your life is showing something. Verse 7, so that you come behind and no gift. Say no gift. I should have rather said come behind and no gift because no gift seems like you don't have any gift. That's not what it's saying. You come behind and no gift. So you've got all that you need, right? Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you or confirm you until the end. 
Until when? Until the end. Faithful to keep you till the end. That you may be blameless. Again, blameless. Without fault. And in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, talking about his reappearing. His second coming. Verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. What is he faithful to? God is faithful to his promise to keep you to the end. God is faithful to his promise of sending his son to make a way for you to be united with him and for you to be sealed with his Holy Spirit, sealed to the end. Not until you've made enough mistakes that the seal is broken. How do we get to a place where we think in our human actions, we can undo what God miraculously did through his spirit? How did we get there where we think like, okay, no, there's this one sin that if I do that one thing, then it's going to undo the most miraculous thing that God Almighty chose to do in order for you to be sealed and to be kept till the end. Again, my heart and my intention for you and through these verses and through the writings of most of them from Paul is to make known to us the reality of what we have in the Spirit and what that means for us in our relationship with God. Because if we have confidence in our relationship with God, if we have boldness in our relationship with God, we're going to have amazing relationships with Him. And guess what? It's going to rub off in the way we do life, the way that we treat people, and the way that we make decisions. 2 Timothy 2 verse 11 to 13 says, It is a faithful saying, and this is another one that's just been messed up quite, uh, quite radically, to say the least. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, dum, 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 he also will deny us. And that's, that's sad to now stop there, but let's read on. If we believe not yet, he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. Okay, so who is faithful? God. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Now, what I want to zone in here is, so there's one, there's a few words there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's nine words there in those few sentences that could just mess you up completely in your relationship with God. And those nine words are, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Okay, now, if you read verse 11 up until verse 13, my translation is King James. King James, it starts off with a specific thought and it carries through till the end. Don't stop in the middle. It starts off with, it is a faithful saying. And then it builds a few things. And verse 12 doesn't end with, he will deny us. Verse 12 flows into verse 13. If we believe not, he abides faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's one thought that is being shared. It's not a few thoughts that is being shared in these three verses. It's one thought, one idea that is being communicated in this. Now, the question that I have to ask you is, if God cannot deny himself, which it says, right? I want to ask you the question, are you one with God or are you not one with God? 1 Corinthians 6.17 clearly says that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. That means there's no separation. You're one with God. We are his body. He's the head. My head is not detached from my body. The church is called the body of Christ. Right? So we are one. Clearly. The scripture continually re-emphasizes this. Now, if we are one with God, how is he going to deny his arm? 
How's he going to deny his leg? It, you cannot deny which you are one of. And through you receiving the Spirit of God, you've become one with Him, and He cannot deny Himself. That is talking about you and me. I thought that would bless someone. The awesome thing with receiving the Spirit of God, you've received the seal. And that seal means you're going to be kept till the end. It doesn't matter what amount of stupid that you do. From the time you receive Christ and you receive the forgiveness and the payment of your sins, you cannot undo that which God miraculously did in your life when you receive the Spirit. Nothing. Because it's a miracle. It's the same picture when you are born into this world, a baby. Chris was born a year ago and a month now. When he was born, he wasn't going to go anywhere else than stay right here in this world, right? He wasn't going to go back to where he was coming from. It's never happened. It will never happen. It's impossible. And as impossible as that is, guess how impossible it is for you to be born again and go back. Are you guys getting this? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 19. And the problem with a lot of this, we often want to look at people and look at them in a way different to how God looks at them. I've been guilty of that. Don't know about you guys. And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 talks about this beautiful encouragement that we should no longer regard one another after the flesh. Yet we often regard one another after the flesh. And now there's time and place to look at the actions and the character of someone. For example, when you choose a spouse, don't choose them based on who they are in the spirit. Because everyone's got the potential to be an amazing wife or amazing husband. Every believer's got that potential. But we don't choose based on potential. The graveyard is full of potential. A lot of people went to their grave with their potential. The same with when we're promoting people into places of leadership and honor. We don't want to look at their potential. We're going to look at proven track record, proven character. Someone who's mature, right? Someone who's chosen to yield to the Spirit of God and allow that to come to the surface. That's not called legalism, guys. It's called the grace of God that Paul says, by the grace of God, I labored more abundantly. Means that I did more than everyone else. But guess what? It wasn't by my boasting. It was by the grace of God that I surrendered to so if you're struggling to labor more abundantly, get to know the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it will lead to some fruitfulness in your life. God's desire for us is to mature. It's for us to bear the fruit of Christ. The word is full of examples of that. But we don't get the cart in front of the horses. We get the horse in front of the carts. We allow the love of Christ to bring transformation to our lives. But coming back to this thought of the trap we often fall into is looking at people after the flesh and and we see this example when, when Samuel was called to anoint the next king of Israel. He looked at everything in the natural. He looked at the oldest son, the biggest son, when he was looking to anoint the next king. And then God said, hey, wait a moment. I do things differently. I don't do things according to the natural, according to man. Because God looks at the heart, but man looks at the outward. And oftentimes with this, this idea of, of God's, God's sealing our spirits and, and us being kept until the end of time. We, we want to doubt that when we start looking at people and we measure them according to the flesh. We're like, are they still saved? Why do we ask those questions? Because we're measuring the fruit. We're looking at the external. Now what this message is not about, it's not about 
hey guys, let's just all continue living in immaturity and never have the fruit of Christ be born in our lives. No, but what this message is challenging is how you look at people with a truth and a reality that God is faithful and he will keep those people until the end. Have they received Christ? Have they said yes to Jesus? Then something happened. What is that something? They've been sealed with God's Holy Spirit. And guess what? Even when they're unfaithful, someone else is faithful. And it is God. God Almighty is faithful. Who will keep his promise till the end? He will keep us blameless till the end. And that is an awesome reality, an awesome truth that will set us up for so much more confidence in our relationship with God. That even if I'm unfaithful, even at some point in my life, I deny him. He cannot deny himself because we are one. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 to 22. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, or as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. I'll come back to verse 20 now. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he promised us. Now, this is awesome. This is, a, again, an awesome passage of Scripture. And oftentimes, again, we take verse 20 out of context and we're like, yes, all of God's promises are yes. And so then we, we add a lot of things to what that means. All a lot of things that are very temporal, very natural, and not sin. I'm not saying sin, guys. Just natural things that are very temporal that we kind of just somehow creatively bring into this passage of Scripture. And we use the words that God is faithful, right? None of you, obviously, uh, um, just the people who didn't come. Verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in what? Have some of God's promises been fulfilled? All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Now, this verse might seem a little bit like, okay, cool. what does this actually mean? This is a profound statement. Everything that God desired has been fulfilled in one thing, in Jesus. Because all of God's promises have been fulfilled. What is that? Is it future tense or past tense? Is it present tense? What tense is this? So I'm not trying to trick you guys. We need to read and study the word and ask these questions. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing his Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. Now, there's a second part to that. Everything that he has promised. A first installment to something. So there is something more, without a shadow of a doubt, when we look at the scripture, these, these verses specifically. There's a second coming. There's a reappearing. Where guess what? Our bodies aren't going to be decaying anymore. You're not going to get any more wrinkles. All of the ladies said, all of the guys whose, whose knees are maybe a little bit like, ah, oh, 
All of the guys said, amen, no more decaying of my body and uh, getting old and muscles growing in, uh, in the wrong way, not in a nice way. <laughs> so there is a second appearing where things are going to be better, where we're fully going to experience the fullness of God, spirit, soul, and body. Currently, we're experiencing the fullness, the fullness of God's promise and his ultimate desire for his spirit to live in man. And those promises, everything that God built up to the coming of Jesus, to the fulfillment of Jesus, through us accepting that and saying yes to that, we give glory to God. We make God's dreams come to pass when we say yes to Jesus and when we lead other people to come to know Christ. God's plan from the beginning of time was unbroken communion with his sons and daughters. That is the thing, the ultimate thing that's on his mind. And Jesus, through these scriptures, Jesus made this possible. No one else made this possible. Jesus made this possible. And through his Holy Spirit, we get to experience this reality. And we get to experience all of the other things that God's Spirit brought into manifestation through Jesus' ministry on earth. Signs, wonders, miracles. It was the empowering of the Spirit that is in Jesus, living through Jesus. And that is what Acts 1 verse 8 talks about, that you will receive power, ability to be my witnesses in all the world. That power and ability is the Spirit of God in you that you received. And that Spirit you received was a Spirit that was made available. It was a possibility that was made possible through Jesus dying on the cross. And now that you've got that Spirit, you've got the empowering to do signs, wonders, and miracles. Amen? Some of you believe that. Some of you believe that, but you don't really believe it just yet. What do I mean by that? If you believe it, I want to ask you the question, have you done something about what you believe? If not, I'm not condemning you. Ask yourself, do you really believe this? Because if you really believe something, what are you going to do about it? You're going to do something about it. Amen? It's quite an awesome test, right? It's quite an awesome test of what I believe. What I believe is going to lead to me doing something. So if I'm not doing something that I would like to do, ask myself, do I really believe that? But ultimately, we need to also realize that oftentimes we, we fall into a trap of running after the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. Anyone here enjoy seeing a sign, a wonder, or miracle? I'm the first one putting my hand up. But ultimately, we need to realize, and we shared this testimony this morning in our prayer meeting, but ultimately, there's more to life than signs, wonders, and miracles. Well, let me at least put this. There's one miracle, which is the greatest miracle of all time, and that's eternal salvation. Say eternal with me. Eternal. That means unshakable, unchangeable, sealed. You guys get my point? And when we start pursuing this first and foremost thing, eternal salvation, not for ourselves because we've received it, but for the people who haven't yet received it and come to know the love of Christ, come to know salvation, when we start pursuing this first and foremost, it's going to make our lives a lot easier, a lot less complicated. Say less complicated with me. The song Gyra, powerful, it's beautiful. When we come to know that one thing is enough, not two, not three, not four, not five things, not all of the things that are the nice things that you see in the world and so many examples that I don't want to use right now because I've, I've come to enjoy some of those examples. Let me use them because I know it's going to bless someone. It's going to offend someone as well, but I trust more, more blessed than offend. 
I'm married. So it's difficult to, for me to use the example of marriage in the sense of me desiring that or me, me, me wanting that and kind of saying, even if I wasn't married, Jesus would have been enough. It's difficult for me to now say that because I'm already married, right? So I can't really speak from that example. The same with having children. I can't really now say that even if I never have children, Jesus is enough. It's difficult now to use that example. You guys get the point. But I do know this one thing, coming back to the example of a child. Um, some of you know that uh, Kath and myself went through a little bit of a difficult time um, before we had Chris. And I remember me, me having a uh, conversation with Catherine coming and, and really making the decision in my heart that if we never have children, Jesus is still enough. It was a difficult decision, but I knew that Jesus is enough. If we, have, if we never have children, Jesus is enough. My calling as a son, his life for me is still the same. Yes, God desires for me to have children, but even if I never do have children, if I never see those things come to pass per se, Jesus is enough because there's one desire that God has on his heart before anything else, before me being married, before me having children. And it's for me to have his spirit live inside of me and for me to experience that for all of eternity. Because this life is temporal. I'm going to be a husband maybe for 80 plus years, right? I'm going to be a father maybe for 80 plus years. I'm just using 80. I haven't done the math now in my mind as I'm saying 80. <laughs> you guys get the point. It's temporal. But there's an eternity after this life. That is going to be awesome. That's going to be perfect. And there's people in this world that hasn't experienced that. It hasn't become a real thing for them. It hasn't become a seal. They haven't been stamped with this promise of eternity. And my point is this in sharing that story is until Jesus becomes enough, until that one thing becomes the ultimate thing in our life that we're pursuing, that we're enjoying, life is going to get complicated. We're going to get distracted. We're going to get caught up in the, the desires and the deceitfulness of riches. It happens, guys. Some of you are maybe experiencing that to some degree. Don't be condemned. Just allow Jesus to love on you. Because if you encounter his love and you are truly being, being ministered to by his love, it's like this awesome picture in this illustration of man in a, in a, in a marriage example. Man, when the, the, the husband, let's use it, I'll use it from my point of view. When I'm continually just loving on Catherine and I'm, and I'm blessing her and I'm just giving her gifts and I'm uh, speaking words of affirmation to her and I'm just acts of service and all of these things, I'm just washing on her the love of Christ continually, continually, continually. It's going to be very difficult for Catherine to ever commit adultery. Why is that? Because she's experiencing so much love, so much affirmation that sin is never a thing on her mind. When you are showered with the love of Christ and you are renewed to who he's made you to be, what you've been made to live from, a place of love, knowing that you are loved, that you've been accepted, that you are worthy, you'll never want to commit adultery against God. You'll never want to step into that arena because you are showered with his love, with his grace, 24-7. And that's the place that we need to be established in, in his life for us. In closing, Romans 5, verse 2 to 5. Through him also we have our access, entrance, introduction by faith into this grace in which we firmly and safely stand. Firmly and safely stand. 
And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction, hardship produce patience and unswavering endurance. And endurance fortitude develops maturity of character. And character produces joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, this is an awesome promise, an awesome declaration of the confident hope that we can have. And we had this, this awesome uh, passage at Manakar on Friday morning. And the amazing thing again with hope is there's only one thing to truly and ultimately put our hope in that will never disappoint. Only one thing. And that's our eternal salvation. There's not a whole bunch of things that the Bible talks about that we are called to put our hope in. Even Hebrews 11 verse, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We often take that passage of Scripture and we go and try and apply it to 500 different things. None of you, like I said, you guys are the, the cream of the crop. I've done it, guys. But now... I'm learning new things about the word of God and I'm bringing it to you guys as well because that's the purpose of community. That's the purpose of feasting on the word. When we come together for life group Bible study, Monica, we share it together on the word. Now, obviously, church has got a little bit of a different setup and, and there's maybe a little bit more one-way communication, but I'm trying to engage with you guys, trying to connect with you guys, trying to get you guys to think about things. I'm inviting you. Ask me questions afterwards. Uh, reach out to me. Set up a meeting with me. Such hope. According to this context, what hope? Hope of eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love, God's love, He made this possible. For God's love has been poured out in the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Question, are you disappointed? Because one thing does not disappoint. The hope that we have in Christ and what He made possible for us. Are you lacking joy? One thing enables you to rejoice and to have joy unshakable. And that's in the love of Christ that he has for you. The possibility that he made it for you to be one with him. To enjoy his presence without any feeling of guilt, shame or inferiority. These are the things that we get to enjoy. Joy, no disappointment when we become to set our minds and our focus on one thing. And keep key terms there is focus maybe you've lost your focus maybe you've never even realized that this is the calling to our lives to be focused on one thing to have a hope in one thing to look at the faithfulness of god for this one thing and yes through that one thing like i shared through the gifts of the spirit and and god's spirit in us there's there's amazing things that we get to experience healing signs wonders and miracles we get to experience those things but oftentimes those things become distractions to the one thing that God desires for us to be fully persuaded on. Oftentimes those things become distractions for us and we become disheartened in not seeing those things to come to pass. We become disappointed because those things, the healings, the signs, the wonders, the provision, it doesn't always manifest the way that we desire. And so we become disappointed. And then with that disappointment, we become passive. 
in the one thing that God has called us to be very vigilant of. 1 Timothy 2, 4, for all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Why does your focus? When we read verse, verse 3, building up, let us exalt and triumph in our troubles, rejoice in our sufferings, talking about prescience, unswerving endurance, endurance developing maturity of character, character producing joyful, confident hope. All of these things is again linked to coming to understand because you can't just for the sake of going through a difficult time say like, okay, cool, I'm going to look at these scriptures and I'm going to copy and paste it to my situation. You can't really do that, guys. You have to look at God's word because the empowering of God's word is found in the context that you find that word in. If you take the text out of the context and you look at the word context, you are left with a con. The power of God's word is found in the purity of what is the author communicating? What is the fullness of this text communicating? You cannot endure and, and, and be patient and have your character develop in life when you're going to go and make stupid, silly decisions in your life, commit adultery, commit fraud, and then like, but by God's grace, I'm going to endure this. Yes, by his grace, you can overcome those things. Yes, he can set you up, but man, it's going to be tough. Your marriage might be broken and divorce might be the thing that's on the table. And there's nothing you can do about it because there's another person involved that gets to decide whether they're going to work through that with you. This context and the scripture specifically is talking about living your life on purpose and keeping the one thing, the focus of your life, the hope of our eternal salvation, the hope of God's promise to be faithful to what he's promised and his desire to have all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. This is Paul's life. Amazing example. Amazing illustration. Philippians 4. Amazing letter to the church. And he endures hardships. He writes about this. He endures difficulty. But it was for one thing. It wasn't for 500 different things. It wasn't for the sake that he was working the marketplace. And then he had someone stabbing him in his back. And then he lost his job. And then he's like, but I'm going to endure. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm going to get a job. I love you guys. I love you and God loves you. But if we want to start living fruitful, purposeful, Christian lives, which I, I trust that that's your desire, to live fruitful, purposeful Christian lives. Live as children of God that look like children of God. Live as children where people could say like, man, they've been with Jesus. That's what they said about Peter and John, I believe. That they were unlearned men, unschooled, didn't know much. But one thing they do know, one thing that people could identify in their lives is they've been with Jesus. I want my life to be a testimony of that. That guy has been with Jesus. There's something different about him. And that will only be your testimony. Only be your testimony when you purpose and you pursue the one thing that God's called us to purpose and pursue, to be focused on his gift of eternal salvation, the promise of his spirit living in you and the promise of his spirit and the desire of his spirit living through you. Ephesians 4, 5, 6. This is the life of Christ through believer that God desires for us to live in, live in this place of maturity. 
We need to change our focus. What are we purposing? What are we pursuing? What are we putting our hope in? There's only one thing that never disappoints, our hope in our eternal salvation and God's faithfulness. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, closing off the chapter. Lay aside bitter words, simple tantrums, revenge, profanity, insults, but instead be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Question mark. Yes, he has. Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. It's awesome how he wraps up this chapter. The chapter's wrapped up and the letter continues into chapter five. And we're going to look at that next week. Powerful. And we'll recap next week. And we'll start off with these last few verses going into chapter five because it flows beautifully. But it's awesome, again, how it runs from these, uh, this, this statement, this reality of, of us being sealed with the Spirit of God. Because this is the same thing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul writes, and he writes about this in verse 17, that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. Go and read that context. It's pretty interesting what comes up in that context. It talks about uh, adul uh, adultery. It talks about actually uh, uh, um, the church. There was, there was sexual immorality in the church. Sexual immorality. And then Paul writes about, Guys, you've been united with Christ. So because of this unity that you share with Christ, because of his spirit inside of you, this shouldn't be part of your community. He didn't say, hey guys, this shouldn't be part of your community because this. No, because of this, the emphasis is completely different. Because of your identity, this shouldn't be part of your community. It's not legalism and saying, going, hey guys, you shouldn't do this and that and that you're a Christian. No, you are Christian. I know it sounds the same, but it's completely different. The emphasis is not on what you're doing wrong. The emphasis is on who you are in Christ and his love in you. And this is the emphasis in the closing of this chapter as well. The emphasis is Christ's love for you. If you focus on the depths of Christ's love for you, how he's forgiven you, you'll be able to forgive. You won't speak bitter words. You won't have temper tantrums. You won't. Think about revenge, profanity, and all of these insults. Just using some examples of people not realizing and not having been impacted by God's love for them. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.